Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 84 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week I have a question for you. How big is your brood box? Having just taken ownership of my first 14 by 12 hives, I thought I'd take a look at how this brood box compares to the other hives that I have. So stay tuned for some interesting results. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me first up this week a little moaning whinge if you'll just bear with me i'm still suffering from this blasted bad back and it's really frustrating me i managed to get the 14 by 12 hives moved though and the journey and humping the hives around has really caused my back problem to flare up again so i'm stuck resting up when I'd really like to be out inspecting bees and changing floors. Okay, that's my moaning over with. It's no good moaning about it for too long. It is what it is, and I just have to work around it. Looking back at my week, there are some really positive highlights, though. For one, as I mentioned, I managed to get the 14 by 12 hives moved, and the apiary looks fantastic now that the hives are on their stands. I do need to get over there and inspect them, as I wasn't able to last week because of the back issue, and that's been a major problem for me for the last seven days. Elsewhere, I did get into the BS Honey Nuke and check out the two three-frame nukes, and as I suspected, the mini-colony that looked a little out of sorts was completely broodless, and there were no signs of the queen. No eggs, and I certainly didn't spot the queen. As time was getting a little short, And to be honest, as I was getting a little frustrated, I decided to remove the Corex divider and let the two three-frame colonies unite themselves. I've done this on a number of occasions now, and despite beekeepers telling me that the bees will fight, they always seem to sort themselves out and settle down. Maybe it's because they're being united laterally rather than vertically. Who knows? All I know is one side was queen right and the other queenless, so hopefully... They've got themselves sorted by now. The collection of the 14 by 12 hives went really well. I travelled over to collect them from a beekeeper near Peterborough, so it's about a four-hour return journey for me. And, of course, there's the obligatory conversations about beekeeping to be had, so that delayed me a little too. In the end, I didn't leave for home until nearly nine o'clock in the evening and had to make a quick stop for some fuel so didn't get to the apiary until 11.30. But it was a pleasant moonlit night and quite mild still. The bees travelled back with just their open mesh floors, no travel screens this time, as although it was a mild night, travelling at speed in the open back of the truck meant they were quite cool enough. No overheating and no need to spray them with water to help them cool themselves. If you've seen the Patreon videos, you'll be well familiar with the apiary site by now, in amongst the fishing lakes, nicely secluded and completely protected by locked gates. The beauty of having completed the work to open up the apiary meant that I could literally drive the truck right up to the hive stands and simply lift the hives off the back of the truck and down onto each stand. No walking through brambles and nettles as it would have been previously. 
If you're moving hives to new sites, it's important to give the bees a little time to orientate themselves to their new location before disturbing them with inspections and the like. My intention was to give them 48 hours and then go back to inspect them, but as I say, the back pain has just got worse and I was in no fit state to get into the bees. I'll hopefully get back to them this weekend and have a good look. They're also going to need feeding and although it's getting late, I do have some heavy sugar syrup to feed them and the forecast does look okay for the next couple of weeks. By that I mean overnight temperatures are going to hold up in the low double figures so the bees won't yet be forming clusters and slowing down too much. It's still quite mild out there despite the rain and I'll try to get as much feed into them as I can as they continue to forage the ivy and if needed I'll add fondant over the winter to supplement them. With fondant in mind, remember it's never too late to help out your bees to see out the colder months. If you've missed out on feeding them and you believe you do need to supplement their food stores, adding fondant above the crime board early will help. What tends to happen is the cluster will form directly beneath the crime board, closely to the fondant, and maintain contact with the food. If you don't put fondant on until later in the winter, you might find the cluster is unwilling to move if the temperature falls to the point that they just lock themselves in place in a cluster and refuse to budge. Once you get the fondant going into the hive, make sure you continue to feed, otherwise you could see your colony starve. There are lots of ready-to-use fondant blocks available out there now, but for just a couple of colonies, it's easy enough to make your own, and in extreme situations where time is important, you can simply place a bag of granulated sugar onto the hive and the bees will use it. Hopefully, everyone's set ready to sit out the cold, knowing they've done all they can to help their bees through until next spring. As usual, I'm caught somewhere in between, with most colonies sorted, but just a few that still need my attention. So, on to my thoughts on brood boxes and the amount of room they afford modern honeybee colonies. I say modern honeybee colonies because... We have to remember the fact that our increasing knowledge of genetics and the fact that we can ship various strains of honeybees around the world these days, we've taken locally adapted bees and mixed them up to produce colonies of varying strengths and traits. And undoubtedly, this has given rise to some changes in physical size of some colonies. I think I've commented previously that I'd like to produce locally adapted colonies, and have been working towards that end by removing queens that have traces of Ligustica, that's the Italian honeybee. The reason for this being, it's an obvious trait that any beekeeper can see. Yellow banding, or a full yellow colour to the abdomen, is so easy to spot. There's no need for detailed investigations under a microscope, for instance. It's not been all plain sailing, and this year has been confounded by the high number of drone-laying queens, but I'll save that topic for another podcast. Anyway, throughout my apiaries I have a wide range of colonies and each occupies a given area within the brood box. Some are quite small and I wonder how they ever survive the winter, but they do. And some fill the brood box to the point that you can barely see the frames held within it. Now I think what I'd really like is something that sits somewhere in the middle. An average colony if you like, not too big and not too small. That said, I have a range of hive types where some of these colonies would struggle to fit in, and others where they'd almost be lost in the cavernous depths of the box. For any beginner beekeeper out there, this is a sure case 
of do as I say, not do as I do. So when you're selecting your first beehives, do your research, listen to other beekeepers and make your choice and stick with it. But stick with one type of hive and make that your standard. It will make all the difference when inspecting and needing to manipulate colonies and swap frames between hives, for instance. There are, of course, many different types of hive out there, and it can be a little bit bewildering, but my advice would be stick with a hive type that's commonly used in your area and that suits your type of beekeeping. For me, I'm trying to show as many different hive types as possible on my videos, and this has led to some practical challenges when, for instance, trying to move a frame with a queen cell on it from one hive to another. I now have apiaries set up with the same hive types together, but this still poses problems at certain times. As an example, I've been at the alpaca apiary, which is my Langstroth apiary, and found a swarm, only to find that I only have national nuke boxes on the back of the truck, so I ended up with Langstroths and nationals at the same apiary. Not a problem until you want to move a queen cell from one type to the other, and then it becomes a little more involved. Not impossible, but not as simple as it could and should be. So firstly, stick with one hive type. Next comes the question of size. And again, because we're talking beekeeping, there are many different options and each has its merits and potential challenges. I'll post a list of the hive types I'm talking about on my website blog at some point over the weekend to illustrate the capacities of each. The first thing to mention before I talk about brood boxes is the laying rate of the honeybee queen. Most beekeepers quote a daily laying rate at the height of the season of around 2,000 eggs per day. I have to say, I've never actually checked, but it does appear to be the most often quoted rate. This could, of course, simply be a result of lazy beekeepers repeating what they've heard and more recently seen on the internet. I really must do a little more research over the winter months and see if I can find out some current data on this subject. Anyway, a worker takes around 21 days to emerge as an adult. So if the queen is laying 2,000 eggs per day at the height of the season, she's going to need 21 times 2,000 cells simply to continue laying at that rate. And that equals 42,000 cells. That's an awful lot of cells. Add to that maybe... 500 drone cells, maybe some more cells for honey stores in the brood frames, let's say another 10,000 cells, and probably the same again for pollen, although this year I've seen huge amounts of pollen being stored in the brood boxes, but let's go with the same amount of 10,000 cells. Finally, add a few cells across the brood box area where the bees have decided they're not going to use them for brood, maybe chewed out corners, damaged cells or torn down cells, and these are usually at the bottom corners of the frames, maybe as much as the same amount again. But to keep the maths easy, and my maths is not particularly good, but let's say it's around 9,500 usable cells. That gives us a required grand peak performance total of 72,000 cells. So how does that compare with the capacity of the more common brood boxes, and particularly those that I've used? Let's start with the small brood box capacity, the WBC. Designed by William Broughton Carr, hence the abbreviation, this is a hive that sits in front of the country cottage on the lawn surrounded by flower beds, blue skies and birds singing in the trees. Idyllic, 
unless you have a large colony that just builds and builds brood. I first started out with WBC hives many years ago, along with nationals. They look fabulous, but do have their drawbacks. One in particular is the size of the brood box. The WBC brood box holds 10 national sized frames with a capacity of approximately 52,000 cells. And you can see from this, we're immediately 20,000 cells short of our peak performance target of 72,000. Now remember, this is just an illustration and colonies, more specifically queens, will vary. However, it is a large mismatch. And if you go down the WBC route, you're likely to need to run a double brood box setup. Next is the Smith Hive. Again, this hive uses national sized frames, but with a shorter top bar length. So although the actual frame including lugs is smaller, the frame area is exactly the same as the national frame. The Smith Hive takes 11 frames, so we have an immediate increase of around 5,000 cells, giving us a working total of about 57,000 cells still short of the target of 72,000 by some way. This then moves us neatly onto the National Beehive, the most commonly used beehive in the UK currently, and although it has a slightly wider top bar, it is the same area as I mentioned as the Smith, giving 57,000 cells capacity or thereabouts. I do know a lot of beekeepers, myself included, who squeeze in an extra frame in the brood box, giving 12 frames, but that only increases the capacity by an additional 5,000 cells, give or take. And so you could argue that there are 62,000 available cells in the national brood box, but this is still 10,000 shy of the target required. A lot of beekeepers will run what's known as a brood and a half, that's to say a brood box and a super on top, to give additional space, and that will allow for around an additional 35 or 36,000 cells in that super, and this would allow you to hit the target of 72,000 cells with room to spare. But for me, this makes inspections more awkward than they need to be, having to shift an extra box for inspections. This brings me on to my latest acquisition, the 14 by 12 brood box. Exactly the same footprint as a national. The alternative name of the national BS Deep tells you the frame is deeper than the standard national frame. And of course, it measures 12 inches deep. When you do the sums for this box, it produces a whopping 78,500 cells, surpassing the target of 72,000 with ease. So, a good choice maybe for anyone looking for a large brood box with frames that have a wide lug to hold on to for inspections. Next up is the Langstroth. Here the top bar is around 19 inches long, so considerably longer than the national frames in all their variations, and this means the brood frame depth is a manageable nine and a half inches deep. Doing the sums gives a cell capacity for a 10 frame brood box of just over 72,000, hitting the target mark almost spot on. If you've listened to previous podcasts, you'll have heard me talk of my most common hive that I use called the commercial. This is an 11 frame brood box, sometimes 12, but has a frame size that sits nicely between the somewhat small national brood box capacity of 57,000 and the slightly oversized 14 by 12 which delivers as many as 78,000 cells in total. Added together the commercial 16 by 10 frames deliver around 74,000 cells and is another tick for hitting the target of 72,000 cells. 
I'm sure all of these numbers must be scrambling your thoughts by now. They're certainly making my head spin. But the upshot of it all is if we accept a target of 72,000 cells required for optimal egg laying at the height of the season, then the National Deep, the Langstroth and the Commercial all pass that mark. If you really want to push the boat out and possibly end up with back problems like me, you could always choose the Dadent, which I've never used, but it does give a massive 93,000 cells. Imagine that. Remember, I'll post these numbers on my website if you want to go over them at your leisure. The simple fact is, these numbers don't mean a thing when viewed in isolation. Colonies vary so much these days, even the smallest hive can be adequate for the right colony, and the biggest hive inadequate for a monster colony. We each make our choice of hive dependent on a number of factors and adapt our beekeeping to suit. There will no doubt be some beekeepers out there who will tell you that if you're not using a Langstroth, you're doing it wrong, or that a double national brood setup is the only way to go. Listen to their advice, weigh up how you want to keep your bees, and then go buy yourself a commercial beehive and enjoy your beekeeping. Seriously though, whatever hive you choose, stick with one type, fill it full of bees, and have a fun time watching them at work. Don't forget to catch up with more of my beekeeping journey by checking out the continually growing content list on my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. Have a great beekeeping week and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.